Welcome to the 52 Pearls Weekly Money Wisdom Podcast. I'm Melissa Joy, a certified financial planner and founder of Pearl Planning. And I'm Melissa Friedenberg, financial advisor with Pearl Planning. Pearl Planning is a financial planning and investment management company located in Dexter and Gross Point, Michigan. We work with clients all around the country. The purpose of our podcast is to explore specific financial topics and provide advice you can use in your everyday life. Hello, it's Melissa Fradenberg in the Gross Point Pearl Planning Office. And this week's 52 Pearls Weekly Money Wisdom is going to be a look back at season two so far. And I've picked a few of my favorite episodes and guest speakers and pulled top five tips from the season so far. So we're going to be looking back at those in a variety of topics, including budgeting, work-life happiness, net worth, college savings, and divorce financial planning to really pull some tips together in this episode and look back at some of those amazing guests that we've been so fortunate to have on our podcast. So the first one that we have is Alexa Kane, certified financial planner and fellow financial advisor with Pearl Planning. In episode 76, we discuss how to improve your net worth. You know, if the market goes down, that does impact your assets. So it's also just being aware that a momentary, you know, dip in the market is not a sign of how you are doing as a an investor or as someone who's monitoring their net worth. It's it does go up and down, but if you keep doing the right things over the longer term when you step back, it does have the the positive impact. I think that's important to mention. So some things are, as far as your net worth, are a reflection of things that you do as far as saving or spending. And then some things are dependent on the market. And we've had a really good market. But when the market does have a pullback, your net worth will go down. And that is to be expected. So it is not necessarily something that you are doing wrong. If that number goes down, that's um, market fluctuations from time to time and not to get discouraged. And I love working with Alexa. And so that is a great lead in to our next clip, which comes from episode 69, The Secrets to Happiness at Work with Tracy Brower. Tracy is a PhD and sociologist studying work-life fulfillment and happiness. And here is one of her tips for happiness at work. I think the other thing, just super pragmatically in terms of our happiness at work, is building really strong relationships, building really strong social capital. And that helps us in terms of our career growth, in terms of our you know, financial growth. It's also really smart to build really strong bonds with people at work because a primary way that we um, feel levels of happiness is through feeling levels of connectivity, of community, of belonging with other people. So at work, it's interesting. I like to say that work is fundamentally social. Even if you're an introvert, you may need less social time than extroverts, but work is a really primary way that we get that sense of social identity, that sense of belonging, that sense of community, that sense of being part of something that's shared. Well, in many cases too, in work life, that might be your best introduction to people 
other than yourself, right? Like, because your, our communities may be very static, um, you know, your neighborhood and things like that. So it gives you that variety as well. And it gives you an opportunity to be, to be generous, right. With other people, um, which goes back to one of your kind of fundamentals of joy. Absolutely agree. Yeah. It's interesting too. I think that, um, I think the social identity piece is interesting. We belonging doesn't come from just being with other people. It generally comes neurologically speaking from feeling a sense of social identity, that shared mutual goal, that shared mutual purpose. Um, and that actually grew up in the industrial revolution. Like people originally got their sense of social identity from, you know, their, their home and their family, and they were churning butter together and harvesting fields together. And then as people started to move into cities, they started to feel a sense of camaraderie. I'm a baker and we're bakers together baking, or I'm, you know, putting horseshoes on horses and we're, we're doing that work together. And so I think that sense of who I am, of how I'm important, of how I'm unique, connected to the community are so important for happiness as well. And another colleague who I really enjoy working with is episode 66, College Planning with Jill Carr, a certified financial planner. And this was one of my favorite tips from that episode. When you fill out the FAFSA form, which even if you're the wealthiest individual in the world, you should still fill that out to see kind of what the college can offer you. They look at parent assets and child assets differently. So one of the savings vehicles that I've seen people use for college instead of the 529 plan is to put it in a custodial account. So it's basically a taxable account that is in the child's name and the parent is the custodian on that. And while that technically has the advantage that you can use that money for anything, as long as it's for the kid, not just college, that's why I think people may like it. It's one, taxable. So you're paying tax on any kind of earnings that you have in the account going every year. Two is that that counts a lot more towards the family expected contribution for financial aid than a 529 does because it's it's considered a child's asset. And so basically if it's an asset that the child has, they're going to count it a lot more towards the family contribution and parent assets, they realize, you know, not everything in the parent's world can be earmarked for college. Although sometimes I feel like it seems that way when you fill out the expected family contribution and it's like this ridiculous number. So, but um, the 529 really helps with that versus like a custodial account in that the 529 is counted as a parent asset. So it's not you know, the whole amount isn't counted towards the college expected contribution, basically. And maybe I'm just a control freak. And also my like 11 year old son has terrible spending habits. And I'm not sure that at the age of majority, those are going to change. I'm hoping he's going to go to college. I'm pretty sure that he will. He's a decent student. But if he doesn't, I don't necessarily want him getting like a lump sum of money that he could buy a car, buy V-Bucks, buy whatever, the, you know, whatever. Right. They're going to spend it all on, you know, video game Roblox stuff. Yeah. I do not want that money that I have like worked really hard to save that could possibly go to anything. So with the 529, there is that control aspect as well as the advantage on the FAFSA. Now you can't talk about college planning without talking about budgeting. 
So the other clip that I wanted to share with you is from episode 73 on budgeting with Karen Divis. Karen is a friend of mine. She's a published author, journalist, and self-proclaimed finance nerd. So she was the perfect guest to come in and share with us the apps that she uses and how she makes budgeting fun. These apps are amazing for helping you uh, get your goals. So whether you use YNAB, you need a budget. You can set up categories for your savings. It can still be all in one pot, for example, but you can name that this is where the money's going to go for, for one way. Um, I use a app called Capital, but with a Q instead of a C. So Q-A-P-I-T-A-L, if I'm spelling that right. It is in one account. It just sits there, one big lump. But the way they created the app is you can see how different goals are funded and the individual amounts that you want to set aside. So I would like to get my daughter a laptop when she goes to high school. So I created a laptop account. And I can see, is it funded? Um, How much more do I have to go? And then when I reach milestones, the app actually creates little celebrations for me. You're at nine, you're at 90%. You're almost there. And you can get those kind of updates on a regular basis so that you feel the joy of reaching that milestone. And the money has a little friction to move it out so that when you want to take it out for use, like a new dishwasher or uh, new flowers for the front yard every spring, there's a, a moment where you have to really think about it. They're like, are you sure you want to transfer this money? Okay. And that friction helps you go, okay, maybe I could, you know, maybe get this at a lower cost, or maybe I don't have to spend the full amount this year. I like apps that kind of make you question yourself and give some reminders that with the ease of the credit card industry of just swiping or putting my phone against the um, checkout stand, and that's how easy it is to spend your money. Friction means everything to me. Because I'm not a cash person, I'm a card person. And they've made it so easy and mindless to spend money that if I can create that moment where I have to really think about all the time and effort that went into earning that money, but did it go where I wanted it to go? Did the ends meet what I wanted? So that's a big thing for me too about budgeting is I want the money that my husband and I work so hard to earn, make sure that it does exactly what you want it to do. And it just doesn't slip away. You know, not having a budget is where you lose that control of it. And I admittingly am controlling, but at the same time, I enjoy seeing the money go to work. And the last tip I'm going to share is from episode 75, Financial Issues and Divorce with Anthony Urbani. Anthony is an attorney and has over 28 years experience with family law. He shares some of the financial issues to consider in divorce. And this is one of my favorite clips from that episode. What about temporary maintenance? How does that work? Very good question. So we have a tool called the maintenance of the financial status quo. So you have to balance yourself with whether to keep things as they are, like divorce didn't get started. So you just get an order entered that says whatever you've done before this divorce gets started is what you keep doing financially. So you put your money in a joint account, direct deposit, whatever the deal is, the wife makes the payments, the husband makes the payments, whatever you do, you keep doing. That's the maintenance of financial status quo. 
if for some reason that doesn't work out either because of domestic violence or because people separate now the financial so-called status quo changes well then you do exactly what you said and say well now they aren't living the way they are beforehand that they are now so we need spousal support on an interim or temporary basis okay you can get that right away after you file or what is the well, whenever the need arises, but then it depends on the judge or the circumstances, whether it happens right away, when I say right away, whenever you get yourself in front of the judge, or whether the judge requires a hearing, we call it an evidentiary hearing or a motion hearing or something where the judge has to hear more facts to determine what that amount should be. So as you can see, we have covered quite a few topics over the season so far, and we have some great stuff in store for you for the rest of the season. We hope that you will listen to these episodes in their entirety, as well as follow us on Spotify or on our website for more episodes. Thank you so much to all our listeners and our guests, and we look forward to many more episodes to come. You can access our first two seasons of this podcast on our website at www.pearlplan.com or on Spotify. If you're interested in learning more about pearl planning, feel free to sign up for our newsletter also found on our website.